Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. Welcome to another Tuesday episode. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are continuing uh, our series in the sacraments. Uh, We will probably end up wrapping the topic up on this show on the Lord's Supper because I feel like we've addressed a number of topics and we've discussed a number of items, moved through a lot of material, and... uh, and really got through what we wanted to get through. As I said with baptism, uh, you are not ex- led to an exhaustive thought on these topics. These will be things that you will uh, you know, study and wrestle and learn about throughout your entire life as a Christian. And it's wonderful to look at the different views and to dig into the, you know, the, the complexities around you because... There's always going to be somebody that's going to oppose what you view, whether you're Lutheran or Baptist or Calvinist or Reformed Presbyterian, whatever it may be, Methodist even, Anglican, Roman Catholic. You, there's different views in this, and we've discussed that last week with our four major views, and it, we really had the fifth with Zwingli being there. But uh, in that, I want to just kind of go over some just basic Q&As uh, on this, and we're going to talk through I found a really interesting website it comes from uh, a it's Grace Communion International and so I venture to say it's probably Baptist in structure based upon some of these questions and answers that they have on uh, the Lord's Supper and so I'm gonna read through these questions I won't read through all of their answers uh, because I feel like some of it's a misrepresentation of it but we're going to address some of their responses to these basic questions and kind of base our episode on that. And then I think depending on time, we'll just kind of wrap it up with a review of Luther's small catechism and the few question and answers that Luther provides there. And then we will figure out where we're going next week. I don't know if we'll do an episode on confession and absolution, or if we'll just jump back into 
the Lutheran and Reformed debate, and we'll look at the differences and similarities between the two uh, across different scopes of theological knowledge. So uh, that'll probably be where I end up going with next Tuesday's episode, uh, but I am going to uh, kind of pray that out and see where where God is leading me. So uh, this website, uh, and I I do apologize, I was thinking about putting up a question and answer box, and I just never got to it. Last week got really incredibly busy for me, and it's the end of August as I record this, and this won't air until the end of September. But I had a funeral, and I had serv- regular service, and I had speaker installation to do in the church. I had sound checkings to do. I had all sorts of different things. My wife was working, so I was watching the kids. We had doctor's appointments, everything under the sun. And so incredibly busy. You know, it's just another average week for a pastor. And we, you know, I didn't get to put the Q&A up, so I found a resource I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think we'll talk a little bit about this uh, as we go through it. Now, I want you to remind yourself where we are. One, we're a Lutheran podcast. I'm a Lutheran pastor. I have Lutheran uh, commentaries and, uh, and supporting views for what we view and we go to the Book of Concord as a confessional Lutheran. We turn to that as a means to read and understand what it is that we should be thinking and teaching. And where is our confession, right? Well, how do we confess as Lutherans? And that is from the Book of Concord. The Augsburg Confession, the Apology, the Small Call to Articles, uh, the Treatise on Power, and I have it covered, Primacy of the Pope, Small Catechism, Large Catechism, and the formula of Concord. That's what's included in the Book of Concord. And you can get it online, and I encourage you to do so. If you go, uh, you can read all of these lines and all of these articles online for free. So if you don't want to go and spend the 30 bucks and get a physical Book of Concord, then just check it out online and read through some of the stuff and see where the Lutherans come from. Uh, because remember, Luther was the first reformer And here's the thing. He didn't reform to pull away from the Catholic Church and the construct of a lot of their teachings, whereas the Reformers wanted to have nothing to do with anything Catholic. And I say Reformers, that includes the Calvins, the Calvinists, and the Zwinglians. Zwinglians? I don't know if that's a word. Those who came after Zwingli, uh, the Anabaptists, basically. Um, But the Reformers, outside of the Lutheran movement tried to pull as far away from traditional Catholicism as possible. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic church. I'm not talking about even like American Catholicism or anything like that. When I use the word Catholic, I'm talking about the universal church, the apostolic church, the early church fathers beliefs. And that is what Luther and the Lutherans turned to as our support. So Luther wasn't necessarily fighting to, um, you know, change the entire construct of the church, whereas a lot of reformers have done so. Uh, Luther wanted to preserve and turn back to scripture on some of the hot topics, one being indulgences and merits, purgatory, the sacraments of the altar, things like that were vital to Luther and his view. And so we'll look at uh, the, the wrapping up at the end of the show on that topic as Luther expounds it in his small catechism. So I want to make that, you know, kind of demonstration clear because I think sometimes we, we say, well, you know, 
Lutherans and the Reformed are similar in so many facets. And there is. There is a lot of similarities there. There's also some significant differences. And we will see how language plays a role in that when we get into the next few episodes discussing various topics. Uh, and, and it be, and language has played a vital importance here in the Lord's Supper and in the baptism series. Is it a sacrament or is it an ordinance? Is this a command? Is this an obedient thing that we do? Or is this commanded by God and given to us as a means of grace? Now, we've talked pretty extensively about the Lord's Supper. We've looked at various passages, and they use some of these passages in here to, to discuss. And so... This is interesting at how um, they have some of this stuff la- labeled out because it has a little bit of some Roman Catholicism tendencies in it. And uh, so we're going to look at that and we will dig into it. So the first question they pose is, what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? And this is their response. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus did in the past, a symbol of our present relationship with him, and a promise of what he will do in the future. Let's examine these three aspects. The bread and wine are, are memorials of Jesus' death on the cross, Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11. In the Lord's Supper, we, eat, we each eat a piece of bread in remembrance of Jesus. When we drink the quote-unquote fruit of the vine, we remember that Jesus' blood was shed for us, and that signifies the new covenant. The Lord's Supper looks back at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus' death shows how much God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that our sins may be forgiven and we may live forever with him. That is the good news. Although this, although we may be saddened by the enormous price that has been paid for us, we are happy it was paid. When we remember Jesus' death, we also remember that Jesus was dead only for a short time. We rejoice that Jesus conquered death and has set free all those enslaved by the fear of death. Our mourning has turned to joy. Christians look back on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as the defining moment in our history. This is how we escape the death of slavery uh, in the slavery of sin. This is how we are freed to serve the Lord. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of this defining moment in our history. Now here's this kind of questionable topic here. They, they responded, The Lord's Supper also pictures our present relationship with Jesus Christ. The crucifixion has a continuing significance to all who have taken up their cross to follow Jesus. We continue to participate in his death because we participate in his life. And so they quote Romans 6, 4, Galatians 2, 20, Colossians 2, 20. And then they re- repeat that uh, as to show re- per, uh, participation in his life while adding Ephesians 2, 6. Now, this continuing uh, participation in the death, it sounds kind of like they're trying to re-crucify Christ every time the bread and wine come. Uh, and and I really am hesitant on that. We talked about that in the Catholicism view and how it really leads to some very bad understanding of Scripture. In fact, it leads to some heresy. But what they're really re- responding with more or less isn't necessarily wrong from the Lutheran perspective. Uh, it is not just merely a symbol of our present relationship, but it is Something And here's the thing that I, I feel like they kind of get wrong is they, they want to make it seem like this is something we partake in. And it's true, right? Because you're the body. You're the, you're the one receiving it. But you're merely just standing there. You, you don't contribute anything to this. And so this is not necessarily like a give and take situation. It's what Christ has done for you and is still doing for you. 
And so it is Christ coming to you through the sacraments. Now, let's get on to uh, this next question. It's kind of an interesting one. Is it wrong to use the term Lord's Supper? And so this is their response. Some say the ceremony of bread and wine should not be called the Lord's Supper. Two reasons are given for this. First, that the ceremony should be called its old, by its old covenant name, Passover. The second idea is from 1 Corinthians 11.20 that say the Corinthian Christians were not eating the Lord's Supper. The bread and wine is not a Passover. As Jesus' last Passover, the last supper, the meal was a Passover meal. The sharing of bread and wine was done after the meal, and the scripture does not call it a Passover. That I agree with. What does scripture call it? It does not give a formal name. In 1 Corinthians 10.16, Paul says it is a cup of thanksgiving. In verse 21, he calls it the cup of the Lord and the Lord's table. Since the scripture does not require a particular name, Christians are free to use any term that helps them understand uh, what they are talking about when sharing the bread in, in commemoration of Jesus' death. Historically, three terms are used. The Eucharist, we talked about that. Communion, this is a word uh, that came from the King, first King, uh, King James translation of 1 Corinthians 10.16, and it simply means sharing and participation. And you can also use the Lord's Supper, as Paul indicates often. So any of those, sacrament of the altar is how Luther presents it, because it, he does see this as a sacrament. And so he doesn't underplay it by simply calling it the Lord's Supper, which is a weighty term in of itself. Um, and communion, I think, is kind of even duller. Of the four, I'd say communion is the lowest, uh, and then Eucharist, then the Lord's Supper, and then at the top would be the sacrament of the altar. And so any of those uh, are pretty acceptable. Now here's probably where we might see some disagreements from the Luther Lutheran perspective to these. It says, what kind of bread and wine? Since Jesus began the Lord's Supper uh, after having told his disciples to prepare for Passover, it's likely that they used unleavened bread. From this historical situation, we can also conclude that the bread Jesus was ma- uh, used was made from wheat harvested the year before, as required by Old Covenant law. However, ne- neither the scriptures nor the, symbol- nor the symbolism requires us to require these particular details. The, uh, the Bible does not attach any significance or importance to the age of the flour, uh, nor whether it was leavened. Similarly, it does not spe- uh, specify whether the bread was made with wheat or barley. Scriptures about the Last Supper do not use the word for unleavened. The Bible simply says it was bread. It is common word for common food. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, in John six fifty one, he did not specify whether he was wheat or barley, leavened or unleavened. The point he was making does not rest in such details. He was simply comparing himself to food in general. The most common staple of the diet, Jesus, or just as bread is the basis of physical life, Jesus is the basis of eternal life. So I already agree with this one. Uh, as I mentioned, we might start seeing some more disagreements here but in, in some of these last few questions. But I would agree with this one because it doesn't matter whether you use leavened or unleavened bread, uh, whether it's made from wheat or barley. Uh, but here's where I would strongly urge uh, some some considerations here. Use bread. Don't use anything else. Don't use wafers. Don't use uh, chips. Don't use crackers. Don't take communion at home when nobody's around to administer it to you, thinking that you're doing it uh, on your own. Use bread and wine. If you go to a church that uses something other than bread and wine, probably time to find another church. Just saying. I've seen it to where uh, people are using 
Doritos and soda as a means to take the Lord's Supper in. And that's not what the passage tells us. The passage is very, it, it does not give us uh, specific details in some elements, but it's very specific in what it is being used. It is bread and it is wine. And in those two, we have Christ present in and under and with these elements. Now, as I mentioned, if you have a church or or, or body of believers that are taking communion in any other fashion than that, uh, don't go there. Now, I would also say this, if you have a desire to drink uh, like grape juice or something, that's fine. Uh, grape juice would be an alternative to wine if you can't consume alcohol or you uh, you know, are, are a prior alcoholist uh, or alcoholism or anything like that runs in your family and you fear that, then don't don't drink it. If your conscience is convicted, don't don't drink wine. Grape juice is sufficient. Who should partake in the Lord's Supper? We talked about this one pretty deeply uh, as we were going through uh, Luther's large catechism. We basically stay, state that we uh, want them to have taken a part of a baptism. They want, should be baptized as Christians. Uh, in the Lutheran faith, that faith, that's why we baptize infants. And then when they get to be you know, a little bit older, uh, we will take them through a first communion class and then into confirmation and teaching them the facets and tendencies behind all this. Because we encourage even the children to participate in the Lord's Supper. And so we make that an encouragement, but we also strongly urge that if you've not been baptized yet, then you shouldn't drink and eat of the bread and wine. Next question, uh, do we want the Lord's Supper to be a formal part of a formal church service or something done privately in home? So the answer, they say here, we've always made arrangements for members to take elements in their homes when they are unable to participate in the congregation. Although an elder would officiate in such situations when one is available, we permitted a member to lead when an elder is not available. The New Testament never hints at the idea that administering the Lord's Supper is a function restricted to the ordained leaders. For example, Paul did not mention anything about ordained leaders when he addressed the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. No verses connects the Lord's Supper with leadership offices. So, um, oh, and here's here's their last little statement here. Make communion is a question that is not really highlighted. And it says this, make communion be led by a woman. Yes, of course, this function is not restricted to pastors, elders, or church leaders. It may be done by anybody who has faith in Christ, just as women sing, sing prayers in church, may also pray at communion and serve that God will bless the elements uh, for our commemoration of the Lord's death and our participation by faith in the Lord. So a few things that I would agree with this and disagree with on uh, these few lines here. One, if you have shut-ins in your church, and even if you're a big church, uh, you should be visiting as many shut-ins as you possibly can. If you have shut-ins in a small church, you should see them as often as you are allowed to. I have a few on my list that I try to see on a regular basis, and some of them I can't I can't get to, which is really saddening to me. Um, but when I go and I visit these people, I take uh, some bread and I take some wine. I have a little communion kit that I bring with me. I bring my worship book with me and I administer the words of institution. And then I deliver the bread and wine to those people. Uh, can this be done by somebody who's not ordained? I 
would agree yes, but I also strongly urge that that person who is administering should be instructed or taught by a pastor on what to say and how to do it. It can't just be done all willy-nilly and expect the same results. And and it can't be just uh, like halfway done. It can't be like, you know, jerry-rigged or, or, or anything like that. It has to be done precisely in the means that which it should be done by a pastor. So I, an elder of the church or a church leader, somebody in that category is more than capable of doing it as long as they're instructed by the pastor. Can women be led in, or can women lead communion? It's an interesting question. I have communion helpers. Um, I'm the one that always administers communion. And whether you fall into women should be pastors or leaders of the church, this is not the conversation for that. Um, but I often have women who help with the services at hand. And so they, uh, they'll be the ones that come along and give the wine as the blood of Christ. So I don't have a problem with that. But the last little line here, they say, for our commemoration of the Lord's death. It, they're, they're basically saying that they'll bless the elements and it's a reminder of his death. Yes and no. So yes, that we do we are reminded of the sacrifice that the, uh, that the Lord took, but it's not purely remained there. It's part of something else. And as I'd mentioned that so far, I've not read that they suggest that Christ is present. Um, they are just simply leaving it as a symbol or a reminder. And that has some swingling, Zwingli tendencies, a little bit of Anabaptist tendencies that it's just merely a reminder. It's symbolic. It has no sort of value to it. But what we get is the forgiveness of sins, the re- the reminder that Christ is present with us, Christ being present, and Christ coming to us in the bread and wine. That is much is given to us in Scripture. As an ordinance of the church, what degree of standard standardization does the church wish to suggest recording the service format for communion. We want our service to follow a general statement, including a prayer, basic explanation of, and a blessing of the bread and wine, and worship music. Communion services can follow any dignified or respectable format that brings glory to God and does not bring reproach on the name of Christ. It must not be done flippantly, uh, but with meaning. Uh, it should be dignified. It should be a dignified occasion, yet at the same time a joyous occasion, thereby appropriate for the coming and presence of God. Okay, so with this type of positioning, when we get to the actual institution, uh, it should follow a structured service. It should follow a a very concise, you know, liturgy. And for the Lutherans, we have a divine liturgy, and that we follow meticulously when we administer the sacraments. We don't generally give a basic explanation. That's one thing we do avoid. We do pray before, during the the great Thanksgiving. Uh, We pray after. But when the words of institution come, we do not give a basic explanation. We simply turn to bless the wine and the bread. So I believe churches should follow a particular set liturgy Uh, And it should be one that is rooted in church tradition and church history. And finally, their last question is, what is our position on transubstantiation? Their response is this. Again, go back to last week, and we talked about transubstantiation. Uh, We talked about how Luther rejected those terms. 
Uh, so we'll see how they respond. And this is, again, probably where we'll have some disagreements here. Jesus said, this is my body. Some churches take this statement literally and teach that the bread becomes the body of Jesus Christ. However, other churches take this statement as a figure to a figure of speech and that Jesus meant something symbolic or metaphorical. Jesus often used figurative language. For example, when Jesus says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven, he did not mean that he was literal bread. He meant it figuratively. All right. We talked about this in that statement when Jesus is given the I am statements. He is not holding bread and wine or he's not holding a door or he's not holding up an object saying that this is this. When Jesus administers the Lord's Supper, he breaks the bread and he holds it up and he says, this is my body given for you. And so he's creating a sacrament, a a meaning to the bread to have some value to the believer. Not just purely symbolic and not a transition of becoming his body or blood uh, as the Roman Catholics teach. That's why Luther rejects transubstantiation and consubstantiation as well. If I can speak great, speak clearly, it would be wonderful. My tongue sometimes gets caught up on my words. At the Last Supper, Jesus said the words he is. He was with his disciples holding some bread and telling his disciples, this is my body. The disciples could see his body. Uh, they could see that the bread was not his body. The original setting, the disciples would have not understood Jesus's words in some figurative manner. This actually is a very pushed view by the uh, by John MacArthur now um, that Jesus is holding this bread and his disciples would, quote unquote, just know that his body isn't really the bread, but there's weight and understanding of, of what Jesus is saying here. He's administering a sacrament. He's creating a sacrament and he's equating the bread to be in his body. And even if the disciples couldn't quite figure it out, Paul certainly did when he writes it in first Corinthians. And I've noticed how they have not used those passages where uh, Paul reiterates that we partake in the body and blood of Christ through the bread and wine. So Paul understood it. And so if Paul did, then the rest of the disciples had to. And so I find that this particular view, you know, by MacArthur and some of these people in that, in that circle uh, can be flat out rejected because they may not have understood it in that very moment. Right. Because, you know, a lot of things had still not yet been revealed. Jesus had still yet to be arrested and, put on the cross and and died and then rise from the grave and then come and visit his disciples. Yes, there was a lot of things they didn't understand. However, once the Holy Spirit comes, they knew. And so I find that the statement's really just anti-biblical and we should reject it. So there's just some basic questions that I came across and some interesting answers. Uh, Again, I don't quite agree with some of those views, but that's totally fine and normal as a Lutheran we won't so to conclude this series I wanted to address Luther's small catechism one more time and we will we will essentially assert what Lutherans believe Luther asks the question what is the sacrament of the altar he answers instituted by Christ himself it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine given to us Christians to eat and drink Where is this possibly written? Answer. The holy evangelists Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also St. Paul wrote wrote this. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was be- which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What is the benefit of eating and drinking? Answer. We are told that the words for you and for the forgiveness of sin. By these words, the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given to us in the sacrament. From where there is forgiveness of sin, there is also life and salvation. How can bodily eating and drinking produce such great effects? The eating and drinking do not in themselves produce them, but the words for you and the forgiveness of sins, these words, when accompanied by the bodily eating and drinking, are the chief thing in the sacrament. And he who believes these words has what they say and declare, the forgiveness of sins. And finally, last question, who then receives this sacrament worthily? Answer, fasting and bodily preparation are a good external discipline but he is but he is truly worthy and well prepared who believes the words for you and for the forgiveness of sins on the other hand he who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require truly believing hearts now here's the thing luther's little section here of eating and drinking or uh, of the body and blood of christ here in the sacrament of the altar when he when he expounds on these things, I I am immediately convinced that his understanding is fundamental to Scripture, because he's emphasizing the for you and for the forgiveness of sin. He's emphasizing the fact that this is something that Christ is doing to you, whereas the other views of the Lord's Supper outside of the Lutheran circle really miss that connection. They don't emphasize for you, and they don't emphasize. The forgiveness of sin. In fact, I've gone to a, a number of churches and outside of the Lutheran faith, and this is how they would handle the Lord's Supper, they, the body of Christ. And they just hand it to you, the piece of bread. I'm like, okay. And I didn't think anything of it. But now when I think of that, I find that I was being robbed of the for you because it wasn't an individual thing. It was it was a corporate thing. Here, The body of Christ. The body of Christ. But, you know, and when you've got thousand people that they got to cycle through, they got to be real quick with it. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. But when I do the Lord's Supper, you know, I I may have 50 people, 60 people in the congregation, but I make sure I meticulously go through and say the body of Christ given for you. And I say it to each person that I hand the bread to. So that's the sacrament series. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it. And uh, I got to go do a school night thing for the kids. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm quite looking forward to it, but we'll see how it goes. I'm It'll be interesting to kind of present the church uh, and hopes that people in the community will see that there's a new pastor here in town and we have our doors open for anybody and everybody to come and partake in divine service and hear the gospel preached every week. So that's my task and my goal tonight. Uh, The only reason I say I'm not looking forward to it is the fact that I have to go to um, an elementary school and there's going to be tons and tons and tons and tons of little kids running around screaming. That's the part that I don't look forward to. But I love kids, and and I think they're a great gift by God. I love the fact that we've got such a healthy community that can have this 
And so I'm really honored to partake in this tonight. So that's that. Uh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stop rambling and I'm going to get on with my day. Hope you guys have a great week. Tune in Friday for a new show, wherever we are in the series on least of these, or still working through some minor profits, I believe. I haven't quite decided as this is the end of August. I haven't decided who my next minor profit will be, uh, but I just recorded the episode on Christian freedom and liberty. So uh, we're knee deep somewhere in the, in a profit. I'm sure by the time we get to this episode, so tune in Friday and catch up on uh, any missed shows. We're continuously pushing them out, and we will continue to uh, bring edifying content to your ears. So have a great week, guys. God bless. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.